Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, Ontario lifted capacity limits for selected settings on Saturday, returning them back to 100% capacity. But some businesses, like restaurants, were excluded. What's up with that? Well, we'll talk about it. Nearly two-thirds of Canadians say they support health care workers refusing treatment to threatening or disrespectful patients who are unvaccinated against COVID-19. Dr. Nancy Walton will join us to explain her perspective on that. And Biden versus Trump in 2024. It could happen, and it might even be uglier the second time around. It's all coming up in the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We know that uh, just at the beginning of the weekend, of course, we got word from the Ford government that uh, there was going to be a change in the capacity rulings and regulations when it came to COVID. Went to the football game, Ty Cat game yesterday, and uh, of course, you could have had a capacity crowd there. Did you go to a movie theater? Maybe go see the new Bond movie? Uh, no restrictions on movie theaters. But uh, some people got left out in this whole process. And uh, a number of businesses that uh, are able to welcome people now are very happy about that as long as they're fully vaccinated. But notice a lot of businesses and some very important businesses that were left out of that. Brianna Carnegie has details. Ontario is opening up capacity to 100% for cinemas, theatres, spectator sports venues, and several other spaces where proof of COVID-19 vaccination is required. But it's not a free-for-all. People are urged to still wear a mask, to screen for COVID-19 symptoms, and leave their information for contact tracing. The government says it's cautiously lifting capacity limits in some settings because more shots are getting into arms and public health indicators are either stable or improving. Some businesses won't be able to fully open up, however. That's including restaurants and gyms who have been calling for it since a vaccine certificate program went into effect over two weeks ago. Brianna Carnegie, Global News. Well, as Brianna mentioned, one of those uh, businesses, one of those number of businesses, rather, that uh, were left out of the the latest uh, lessening of mandate, easing of the mandate, of course, is the restaurant industry, uh, which has been deeply, deeply uh, affected by what's been going on over the last little while. Uh, James Rillett is the Vice President of Restaurants Canada, the Central Canada Division, uh, joins us here on the Bill Kelly to talk about this. Uh, James, uh, welcome uh, back to the program. Good to have you with us again. Uh, I got to ask you right up front, because uh, I had the same reaction, I'm sure, that you probably did when the announcement came down last Friday. What about restaurants? Were you surprised by what happened? Uh, I was really surprised, Bill. I actually had to read the uh, press release a few times because I'm like, I must be reading this wrong. I can't believe that they would open all these things and not open restaurants. It just, it, it, I was incredulous to why they would do that. Well, especially in light of the fact, you know, we started going down the list. I, I was surprised movie theaters were included, frankly. And stadiums, I figured, okay, that's outdoor stuff. But then, uh, okay, yeah, the Leafs and Raptors can have capacity crowds. And you and I both know that that was probably because of an awful lot of pressure. Toronto was right the heart of the center of the world, at least according to a lot of sports fans in that city. So maybe that didn't surprise me. But this is an industry that has been so hard hit, and you've been very vocal about this, and you've received an awful lot of support from, from a, a lot of patrons about this and said, look, it, you know, we're doing everything we can. Uh, you've talked to a number of your, your members, of course, of this organization. They're complying as much as they can. There's a couple of people that just you know are off on one tangent and I, I don't know if that was a factor in this or not but did you get an explanation from anybody over the last couple of days as to why not restaurants no we had we didn't get an explanation before or after this was made uh, you know we, we're setting up lots of meetings this week i think they want to talk to us now but uh you know it it it, it beggars imagination to know why they would do this um you know how you can be in a in a closed arena with twenty thousand people screaming and yelling 
with uh, without a mask that you can't sit quietly in a restaurant and, and eat with the, without the same restrictions. It, it makes no sense. Uh, the chief medical officer of health identified loud uh, yelling as as a problem when he when he uh, told the kids they could go trick or treating, um, but yet somehow it's safer to, to yell loudly in a in a packed sports arena. It, it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Last five minutes of the football game in Hamilton yesterday. I got to tell you, James, there was a lot of yelling and screaming, and I guess a lot of droplets going back and forth. Uh, but it was allowed, and uh, I know some people were masking. I did that, but I got to tell you, in my experience, uh, and I've been dining out for a lot of years. I've got my favorite restaurants in this area, as I'm sure you do in yours. Uh, I don't see a lot of yelling and screaming in restaurants. So, I mean, let's cross that off the list as a possible reason for this. It just doesn't make any sense. No, it's it's true. It's it's. We, we don't understand uh, if there was something in the restaurants that's that's not uh, that they want us to change they haven't told us that um, we've said right from the start uh, we're doing everything we can uh, to safely serve customers and we're happy to do whatever you ask us to and I think at every step the restaurant industry is has um, gone above and beyond and so you know I, I don't want to diminish what that other places can open but i'm just saying um if if them then why not us because we might, we're a lot safer than any, a lot of the other things that are open well we've talked about some related issues which i know are very relevant to what you and your members are dealing with and have been dealing with since this whole thing started uh and one of them is we've started to come out of this and lockdowns and and, and things of this nature of course is, is an awful lot of your members of course having trouble getting staff right now uh finding people to fill positions uh, and that's in the kitchen that's of course serving staff uh, just about every facet of the business right now and and one of the solutions that was brought up on our program last week and i know you've heard this james is well just you know pay them more well how can you pay them more if you're working at less than half capacity in most restaurants there's no money coming in yeah it's a, it's, it's a difficult uh, um, line to walk you, you can pay people more and then you, your uh, menu prices go up and then people stop coming so it's it's a very delicate line we have to walk so, um, you know there has been more uh, compensation in the restaurant industry uh, we're looking at ways of changing the entire culture and uh, making them uh, lifelong jobs but the bottom line is no, it was hard to keep people in the industry that was constantly being open and closed, open and closed. People have to uh, have some job security. So the biggest problem we faced was people leave, left the industry and then it's hard to get them back. So we're trying to identify new people that can come join the industry. And that, it's just not, it's not a quick solution. But the only way that you're going to be able to do any of those things financially anyway is to have more people in the restaurants buying food, uh, and, and that's not happening to the degree that you would. Let me ask you, there is another factor here. I know in the absence of an explanation from the government, and you haven't received one, sadly, uh, and we haven't even heard anything around the rumor mill, but so we can only speculate. Uh, there have been some some rogue people, shall we say, uh, who pushed back and, and were quite vocal about uh, their opposition to the idea about uh, asking for, for proof of vaccination and, and saying, that's not my job, I'm not going to do that, I have my rights, yada, 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 you've heard all that right now. Uh, there, it's a small minority, James, but it was a vocal minority, and it got a lot of media coverage, rightly or wrongly, over the last 10 days or so. Do you think that might have been a factor? Uh, I don't know. I hope not, because you know the the anti-vaccine passport people were from all all uh, parts of society. It's uh, you know uh, the same people wouldn't want to uh, go to a go to a football game if they had to show their vaccination passport. So you know it's I can't imagine that's what it is. But um, uh, again, if that's what it is, 
identify that and we'll look to, to fixing it. Uh, I think, you know, in the early days, there were some people, um, the outliers that said, okay, yeah, we're not going to enforce it. And quickly, after a visit from the local health authorities, they they changed their tune. So, you know, I don't think that's an issue anymore. But uh, if it is, let's talk about it. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, for, you know, for those who maybe hear the story or maybe didn't hear the follow-up on that, the health inspectors, I know that happened in, in most communities. And that, by the way, there were not a, a lot of people doing this. It was just in uh, isolated a few communities. Uh, you're right. They either started complying or they shut down one or the other uh, simply because they said, well, we're not going to do this. So, you know, that's that was their decision, though. I mean, you know, there, which goes back to the discussion you and I have had, and I think we've had a, a great amount of time over the last little while. You can just do what you want. Yeah, it's a free country, but there are consequences to your choices and the, the restaurant owner said to understand that but having said that we need to one score once again that the overwhelming majority of, of people in your industry were compliant with this and were enforcing and we're asking and uh, we're wearing the masks and doing everything they were supposed to do and and uh, the times I've been in restaurants over the last uh, couple of months now uh, I mean I've seen almost 100% compliance I mean the people get up to, to go to the washroom or go to whatever they're coming or going to their tables they put the mask on and they take it off at their table when they're eating and it, it wasn't that difficult. So I, I'm I'm perplexed right now as to why the government would exclude restaurants like this. And I know you're going to have some meetings in the next little while. I'd like to think that, uh, that the purpose of the meetings from the government standpoint anyway is to let you know when they're going to ease the restrictions on your industry. I hope so. <laughs> you know, that um, that's what we thought we were, you know, all, all the last few weeks while we were uh, talking about the vaccine passport. That That has been the conversation. So, uh, you know, when we've reached out to people on the weekend, which was hard to do on a long weekend, but, uh, sure. you know, the, those that we got, we said we have to find a solution to this because this, this cannot stand. Has there been any indication at all that they weren't happy with compliance? I mean, we can go back months on this, James. The first couple of times I think you were on the program early in the pandemic uh, and asking at that time during some of the lockdowns, why restaurants? You know, Please show us the data that indicates that restaurants are part of the problem. And we never did see that, by the way, which you know only, I guess, magnifies the concern here. But why not now? Why why can they just say, okay, let's, let's get back to dining? People want to go out. I mean, we've seen that. I've talked to people that are ready, willing, and, and able to do this but the capacity issue is going to be a concern. And, and of course, now the fact that those restrictions are still in place, uh, it's it's problematic. Uh, what have you heard from your members on this? I mean, it's only been a couple of days. I understand that. But this might have been an ideal weekend for people to kind of cash in on the full capacity issue. It seemed to be happening everywhere else except your industry. Yeah, well, basically, we've heard nothing but anger over the last <laughs> over the last few days. And, and understandably so, it's, it's you know, as, as people understand how, how much is it, it is affecting them. And like you say, this might have been the last good weekend for people to get out and about and uh, um, before the weather turns. And, and it was a wasted weekend for those that couldn't be full capacity. I know my family tried to get a, a reservation on Saturday, and it, it, we, I think it was six or seven places before we got a, a, um, somewhere to go. So they were full. They were ready to uh, fill more people. Um and yeah, let's see the reasoning for these decisions. They've never showed them to us before. They've always just said, "Well, the theory is that if you're unmasked, but uh, you know that doesn't hold water anymore because uh, all the other things that people do unmasked um, and are allowed to continue to do without re- restriction um, uh, it do- doesn't uh, prove that." Or just well, I- that. Sorry. 
And, and to your point, they, they, I guess the restaurants were in full. They were just at capacity as 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 governed by the provinces and, and their, their edict. Uh, and and that's that was what was you know crossing my mind. I mean, this was a especially here in southern Ontario, an unusually mild weekend for Thanksgiving. I mean, it was just beautiful outside. Uh, be great to be going an outdoor patio, indoor dining, whatever the case might be. And this would have been an ideal opportunity for restaurants to do something like that. Uh, where do you go from here now? You mentioned there's uh, some meetings that are becoming up right now. Uh, obviously, you want some clarification on what's going to be happening here. Uh, do you start banging on the door here and say, what about us, or do you just wait for the government to come to you? No, we've been banging on the door since uh, um, late Friday afternoon, uh, and we'll continue to bang. I think what we're hearing now is a lot of uh, even the Tory MPPs and, and cabinet ministers uh, are, are realizing the, the folly of this decision and are starting to question it themselves. So hopefully we have get some internal pressure uh, and that we're, uh, we'll get some movement quickly. Um, but, yeah, we'll just keep banging. Uh, you know, you look at other provinces. Alberta just last week announced that they're giving uh, restaurants $2,000 uh, each for the cost of implementing the vaccination passport. And so... And they've taken all restrictions off, as, as other provinces have. So we need to go the same dis- same way other provinces are and uh, and support our restaurants. Well, you know, we're in your corner, and I know most people in Ontario are in your corner right now, too. It's it's uh, one of these industries that really is going to need some help. And uh, I know that, uh, you know, there have been, as you mentioned, some support programs to try to help compensate some of the owners, and uh, and that's all well and good. It's it's not enough, actually, to get things going, but there are some key problems here. And, uh, and I think we've all come to the realization right now uh, that uh, this was not going to be one of these things where, okay, you can just flick the switch now, the pandemic's over. It's not. Uh, the lockdowns may be over for the time being, but, you know, the numbers here in Ontario are starting to flatten out. Uh, the medical experts are pretty comfortable with the way things are going right now with an, an eye to the future and saying, okay, you know, it, it may get, you know, the weather gets cold, it may get worse again, but not mar- not magnified to the extent that it was before. This seemed, and went up, by the way, to, just to your point about Alberta, we're not going to do what Jason Kenney did back in July 1st and say, okay, everything's over, you know, full throttle, let's go. Uh, there are still some restrictions yet to go to a stadium and a movie theater and everything else, and those would certainly be in place uh, with uh, the restaurants as well. Uh, James, I'm hoping the next time you talk to us, which is going to be very soon, uh, I hope we've got some good news for you and we can share that. But in the meantime, uh, to you and your members, hang in there. Uh, you know, we, I think this was a, an oversight uh, by the provincial government, and hopefully they're going to correct it real, real soon. I hope so, too, and thanks for your support uh, of our industry. It's always appreciated. Okay, James, hang in there. Thanks again for the time today. James Rilla, the Vice President of Restaurants Canada at the Central Canada branch, uh, uh, still disturbed as uh, most restaurant owners are, and patrons for that matter, uh, by the exclusion of uh, restaurants and the uh, restaurant industry in the uh, loosening of uh, some of the restrictions for COVID. Still need the restrictions. Nobody's arguing that. Uh, it's just that let's be a little more inclusive about trying to get some of these industries back on their feet. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. The uh, debate about vaccinations, proof of vaccinations, uh, continues to rage. Uh, and it's, uh, well, spilled over into the healthcare system, which I know is going to come as a surprise to an awful lot of people, those that are in charge of uh, trying to get us better or keep us uh, healthy. Uh, there are a percentage of those people, apparently, that don't want to play ball and get into the program here. Anyway, there's a new poll that was done over the last couple of days here suggesting that over the COVID-19 vaccines, the tensions that have been arising here are probably as high as they've ever been right now, and uh, especially between those who are vaccinated against the virus and those who just choose not to. Steve Henniger has some details. 
More than three-quarters of the 1,500 Canadians polled in the online Leger survey hold negative views of those who are not immunized, that they are irresponsible and selfish, a view hotly contested by the non-immunized. Some members of that group have been staging demonstrations outside hospitals and schools to protest vaccine passports and other public health measures. The survey also suggests the tensions between vaccinated and unvaccinated Canadians are on par with some of the other social, racial and cultural issues that the population. Steve Hunter of the Canadian Press. So where are we going on this? And the conflict continues. Uh, to talk about this, we're pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Nancy Walton. Uh, Dr. Walton is an Associate Dean of Ryerson University, Deputy Chair and Ethicist with the Hamilton Canada Research Ethics Board, the Health Canada Research Board. Uh, doctor, pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks, Bill. It's nice to be here. You know, i got to tell you right off the bat, Doctor, I, I'm shocked by this whole thing. I mean, you know, we talked last year, I can still remember, boy, if we only had a vaccine, take all the pressure off these healthcare workers and everybody's going to just rally behind this and we're going to get vaccinated and we're going to get over this. Did, did you at all foresee that there would be a rift like this developing? Uh, yeah, I can. I think it's actually very foreseeable. And, uh, you know, I was giving vaccines uh, at the beginning of the rollout of vaccines and people who were coming in then were super, uh, you know, happy to be there. But by July, August, we had empty clinics. We had people who were only coming in, you know, pretty grudgingly. So there's still a significant number of people who um, aren't vaccinated. And of course, you're going to see this kind of resentment uh, between groups of people. Lots of people who came to get vaccinated, you know, weren't uh, at a high risk at all, but felt that they were doing it not just for themselves, but for their communities and their families and the public. I, I, by the way, I should, I, especially healthcare workers, I think that's what probably surprised me more than anything else. And, and, and maybe that's just me. I mean, we have a, a great cancer center here, the Jervinsky Cancer Center in Hamilton. Uh, and I'm always surprised when I drive by there to see a number of staff people out there smoking. I figure, come on, people, didn't you get the message? I mean, you know, you're going to butt out your cigarette and go in there and treat people like this. And I thought healthcare workers would be, well, we knew they were going to be some of the first in line for the vaccine. Uh, is, is what, I'm asking you to speculate, I guess, here, doctor, but I mean, is it that they don't believe in vaccines? Is they don't believe that this is effective? I'm trying to put my finger on exactly what their main point of contention is here. Well, I think there's a variety of you know reasons why people aren't getting vaccinated. But the one thing we've always had in you know healthcare in Canada is we respect people's individual choices. Um, lots of times we're just talking about individual choices, though. So a choice you make you know, to, to continue smoking or to go rock climbing without a safety harness, we'll still care for you when things go wrong. Um, but I think people view vaccination as something more than an individual choice. So, um, but I think the reasons why people aren't getting vaccinated are, you know, a lot of uh, different kinds of reasons, some that are very individual. Um, but I think that resentment comes out of the fact that then they're making a choice that affects all of us, that keeps this, uh, you know, pandemic going continues restrictions and all the things that people are really fatigued by including healthcare workers especially yeah especially and we saw that over the weekend with the the nanos poll uh that was done yeah. this was a nationwide poll two-thirds of canadians said they would support healthcare workers refusing treatment to threatening or disrespectful patients who are unvaccinated against covid19 uh, in other words just leave them there uh you know you, you just mentioned you know part of our charter with the healthcare here with our, our medicare program in this country is that we will look after you you know no matter what you've done you know if you're an alcoholic and you have liver disease we're still going to treat you don't but 66 percent of Canadians to say no uh, th that's that's surprising to see that it's so polarizing yeah and I think you know that 
the poll, in one sense, it's, it's great. The poll, what the poll suggests is that people, uh, the public support healthcare workers and that they have a sense, maybe a better awareness of some of the challenges that healthcare workers are facing in having to treat, um, lots of different people, some unvaccinated, some disrespectful, some threatening. I think, you know, the question's a bit stacked there because they put, you know, three really big adjectives there. Uh, you know, people who are not just unvaccinated, but also disrespectful and yeah. threatening. You know, we healthcare workers have been dealing with people who are disrespectful all the time. That's, this is not something new that just happened with COVID. You know, long before that, we've dealt with people who are unreasonable or disrespectful or who, you know, who come into the emergency room and are yelling because their relatives waited too long or someone's in pain. So someone who answered that question in the poll to say, yes, we support healthcare workers refusing care to certain people might not be thinking through sort of all the implications of that, that, you know, could affect them if they're coming in and being maybe threatening or disrespectful too. So uh, it's an interesting poll that they put, you know, those three adjectives together and sort of assumed that everyone who's unvaccinated is also going to be disrespectful and threatening. And certainly, yes, healthcare workers are dealing with that. Um, it, it, it's a little bit different now, I think. Yeah, and, and, and you're right. Those two variables here, I, I certainly going to have an impact on people's attitudes toward what's going on here. Uh, but I, I just get the sense, uh, especially over the last couple of weeks in particular, that some of these people are just kind of, you know, getting at the end of the rope when it comes to this. I know initially, uh, when especially some of the healthcare workers were saying they didn't want to get vaccinated, and and, and again, they're part of the, uh, a larger group that, that just are, are against this. And there are the anti-vaxxers, uh, but I kind of set them aside and figure you're not going to change their minds no matter what. They're just like that and there have been about vaccinations we understand that i don't agree with it but i understand it but there's a number of people in the middle right now that just seem to think that they're unsure of themselves and not sure where they're going to go and you know i i guess i and a lot of other people not never thought that frontline healthcare workers uh would be members of that group that still aren't vaccinated but i mean even here in hamilton I'm sure you saw the story uh, late last week. Uh, the CEO of Hamilton Health Sciences here, Rob McIsaac, uh, essentially said to to his uh, healthcare workers that aren't vaccinated, "Get over yourselves." Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it was just like you know, please, you you know, you swore that you were going to put people's health against uh, ahead of your your own, uh, you know, start walking the walk, not just talking the talk. Uh, and and I think a lot of people are feeling the same way right now. Yeah, I think they are. And of course, there's this additional, you know, really serious pressure that people will be suspended or terminated from their jobs if, you know, and their professions if they're not um, vaccinated. So um, I think uh, there's also some pushback on that because people are feeling like, you know, I I'm assuming that people who aren't vaccinated who have these kinds of ultimatums are feeling pressured. Um, now, it's not like they didn't see this coming. <laughs> of mm -hmm. course, this is not something new. We've you know, been talking about this for a long time. But I think, um, you know, there's more to it in the sense that they're feeling, you know, well, I, I'll do this in my own time or, you know, maybe they're, I don't know what they're waiting for. But, um, yeah, there's part of uh, a duty to care that may involve something you have to do in order to care for other people, whether it's getting adequate training um, whether it's making sure you know exactly what you're doing and if not asking questions, it might mean something you have to do like a vaccination in order to provide care. Um, healthcare workers should be um, accustomed to this, but also they also want to see their institutions, so their hospitals or wherever they're working at clinics, have the kinds of safeties, <clears throat> safety, um, you know, and supports and resources there, which I think sometimes 
also they've been feeling like there's not enough personal protective equipment, we have low staffing, and yet you're coming at me for my decision when you're not doing all you can do to support us. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. And, and you're absolutely right, and I've heard stories, and I know you certainly have, Doctor, where that's been the case. Well, but in my my mind, that that's, that only underscores the need for vaccination then, because we know that's that's you know right at the top of the list of things to try to prevent this uh, from happening. Yeah. You know, we we can be reactive all we want, but I'd rather be proactive and, and try to minimize the dangers of of this this wave that we're going through right now, especially with the Delta variant. So, where do we go in a situation like this? I know that, and and your point's well taken. A number of healthcare organizations now and governmental organizations that are are you know requiring proof of vaccination uh, have you know they. They tried the uh, the carrot and the stick thing. Well, the carrot didn't work, so the stick now is you're right. We, you're going to be laid off unpaid, unpaid leave of absence uh, if you don't get vaccinated, which is pretty harsh. I understand that if you're one of those people that are in that position. Uh, but the solution is pretty simple. And, you know, when you look at to say, well, I want, you know, an exemption or I can't, you know, we've talked to medical experts that have said, look, there's only two reasons for the exemption, uh, possible cardiac arrest, uh, heart implications or you know an allergy of some kind to the vaccine itself other than that they said there is no reason for exemption so i mean we're starting to narrow it down right now Uh, i'm I'm just wondering how much of the indecision right now is being guided by a lot of the misinformation that's out there well i suspect there is a significant amount of misinformation that's guiding people because you know people are talking about exemptions very broadly and as you just said there's very narrow criteria for exemptions and very few exemptions that are actually, um, you know, the, the case that they are true exceptions. So um, I think one of the challenges will be exploring, and this is whether, you know, healthcare employers want to do this, exploring individuals, you know, perceptions or their ideas on why they don't want to get vaccinated. I mean, yes, I'm sure that there's a lot of HR departments right now who are gearing up to have the conversations about suspensions and maybe terminations. Um, and maybe they're going to have some time also to have different conversations with people about, you know, why are you hesitant? Why haven't you gotten the vaccine? You know, to maybe work through some of that. That's a lot of work and effort. But that, to me, you know, that's <clears throat> the one direction you can take to sort of try and explore, you know, some of these valued healthcare workers, why they're not, why they're resistant to this. Well, and that's, the, the, I think, one of the tragedies of this whole situation. Uh, there probably is a very a group of very talented healthcare workers that, that may be impacted by this. But, it, it you know, again, it, we, we go back to the point that the number of legal experts that we've talked to on this now, too, and, boy, those those two roads, the, the legal and the medical things, have intersected a number of times during this whole debate, have said that, look, it, you can make the choice if that's what you want to do, but there are consequences to any choice. I mean, if I choose not to you know, renew my driver's license, I'm not allowed to drive. Uh, you know, that's all there is to it. You know, it's not, so, oh, okay, well, you've been doing pretty well for the last 20 years, so we'll give you a pass. There are no passes uh and the same thing with this if you don't get the vaccine uh, i mean if i had a loved one that was going into the hospital or into a long-term care facility and i knew that there were people that may be offering care or looking after them in some way shape or form that weren't vaccinated i'd be worried i'd be upset about that because you've got somebody who's at their most vulnerable they're in a, a hospital for heaven's sakes and and there could well be somebody who could be positive on this or you know be a carrier or any number of different things like this and that that's just how these things start in the first place and this is how they spread and, and the people in the those facilities know that, don't they, doctor? Uh, yes, presumably they do. I mean, presumably we all know lots of things that um, are true, and yet we act in different ways. <laughs> but, 
I think the really important piece you pointed out there is that we want some assurance. <clears throat> People, the public wants an assurance that when they have either they're going into a hospital or even just into a clinic for a test or an x-ray or something even quite, you know, minor or benign, um, that they have that protection, that people around them are vaccinated, that they're also protecting themselves with the right kind of mask, and they're doing all the right things. Um, without that, I think, you know, there's a loss of trust in the healthcare system. So, you know, I, I think uh, it is harsh, as you said, these kinds of um, uh, actions that are being taken, terminations, suspensions. Um, but I think it's, you know, to put it simply, I think it's in the interest of public trust. Uh, and public safety, and and again, we have to yeah. you know, make that distinction. And 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 I feel badly for the people that are caught in the middle on this. But you know, the solution. I'm not trying to you know uh, make this into something silly. But I mean, the solution is pretty clear in front of them. I mean, get the vaccination. I mean, and we've talked about some of the myths that are out there that I like to think have been dispelled. But there's still people that grab onto this. And I've even heard from some healthcare workers, doctor, have told me in the last couple of months. Well, you know, yeah, we know all about vaccines, but they rushed this one. They got it done in less than a year. Well, we know that. That's not the case. Uh, you know, we talked to immunologists who said they started working on this vaccine back when SARS was in Toronto. That's over 20 years ago now. Uh, so this is not a new vaccine. This is not new technology. This is, this is you know, they, they did the testing, but they still followed all the procedures. Uh, but people still cling to that sort of thing. And I, I guess that's the what's probably fueling the fire of frustration with so many people right now. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. And I, I mean, we have lots of uh, ways of thinking that aren't right. Lots of people have lots of biases and they cling to old information because it's information that, you know, they trust and they don't trust the new things or the new information. Uh, you always feel a little worried when that's someone who's a professional healthcare worker clinging to old knowledge when part of what we do in healthcare is con constantly, you know, update, stay current, do something new. But there's always lots and lots of work behind that, you know, with sort of the, the misconceptions about the vaccine um, being rushed or, you know, it wasn't studied on enough people or put through enough trials. There's so many decades of vaccine work behind the ability, the wonderful ability to actually pull together the science so quickly um, and have vaccines approved and ready to go. I think some, some of the big frustration here is that many people, reasonable people say, the solution to our problem is available, you know, in every pharmacy, <laughs> at pop-up clinics down the street. Um, and there's enough information out there for people to really learn about it and not get caught up in some of the conspiracy stuff and the misconceptions. Um, but when you see it's a healthcare worker, I think there's sort of additional kind of worry and concern and frustration that, uh, you know, that they're getting pulled into this kind of looking at old knowledge and not staying current and, you know, you know furthering misconceptions. Um, so I, yeah, I think many people share those feelings that uh, that you're articulating. Well, and, and I, I wish I could finish our conversation by saying, well, here's the solution, and this is going to make everybody happy and make our problems go away, but it's it's not that simple. Uh, I, you're right. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that people can, you know, be, just dispel the, the misinformation that's out there about, you know, the, the efficacy of the vaccine, and, you know, and I'm hearing all sorts of stories. Well, you know, how come there's going to be a third dose? Well, because we're learning more. You know, as I, I said, you know, we used to treat headaches with leeches, and we don't do that anymore, at least, I, you know, not in my knowledge anyway, because we got smarter. I have the utmost respect for healthcare workers because, you know, people in your line of work and, and frontline workers in hospitals, they save lives and, and they do incredible jobs every day. But uh, 
you know, they, they have to understand the, the, the dangers, I guess, that are inherent with what's gone on. And they've seen it firsthand. It's not as if we're in the first yeah. weeks of a pandemic right now. This is a going, we're heading into the second year of this thing. And it, it's at the point right now where we have to use the knowledge that we've attained in the last 18 months, not just the last 18 years. And, and I'm hoping that people are going to use that when they make their decision. Uh, doctor, I, I, I really do appreciate the time today. It's great to get some focus on, on the discussion and the debate that's ongoing. Uh, thank you so much for the great work that you do, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Bill. It was my pleasure. Take care. That's Dr. Nancy Walton, uh, Associate Dean at Ryerson University and uh, Deputy Chair and Ethicist with the Health Canada Research Ethics Board. Uh, and again, you know, the choice is yours. I get that. And nobody's nobody's tying you down and saying, here's the vaccine, roll up your sleeve. Uh, but you have to understand, you know, the, the, most of us are very, very concerned about this spread. And we're concerned about the restaurant industry that we talked about in the first part of the program. And none of this is going to get fixed until we get that up around 90, what, 91, 92 percent, as the experts are telling us, and we start developing herd immunity. And healthcare workers are part of that, and teachers are part of that. Everybody who's going to have contact with other human beings is part of that, and that's most of us. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. There were some people that thought that uh, if Donald Trump were to be defeated, and he was in the last presidential election, that he would just fade away. That would be it. Uh, Americans would get over their, their fascination or obsession with him. Uh, it's not happening. As a matter of fact, uh, we're almost closer to the midterms now. And uh, while Trump's still kicking around, the former U.S. president returned to Iowa for a rally this past Saturday. This was Trump's first visit to the Hawkeye State since losing the presidential election last year. Hello, Iowa! He criticized President Biden's handling of everything from Afghanistan, the economy, to the pandemic. Millions of Americans are realizing that Joe Biden and the radical left have brought our nation to the brink of ruin. Trump also pointing the finger at congressional Democrats. Lunatic leftists are taking over our schools and radical socialists are taking over our country, and we're not going to let that happen. Trump also publicly endorsed Chuck Grassley for senator. Todd Ant, ABC News. I know this may sound like deja vu to an awful lot of you, but, uh, I mean, he's he's still kicking around. And uh, as our friend Brian J. Karam writes uh, in Salon.com, uh, Biden versus Trump is a real possibility in 2024, even weirder and uglier the second time around, as Brian writes. And Brian J. Karam, who, of course, is a political commentator for CNN, columnist for Salon.com and The Washington Diplomat. He's also a host of uh, the podcast called Just Ask the Question. You want to know what's really going on in Washington? You check out that podcast, and he'll inform you as to what's going on. He joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about that possibility. Brian, great to have you back with us again. Thanks so much for the time today. Sure. Glad to be here. What, you know, the question a lot of us on this side of the border are asking as we watch what's happening down there is, is what is happening? You know, we've, as you mentioned in the piece here, I mean, you know, the challenges here are many. You got the debt ceiling, uh, infrastructure, the build back better, uh, a number of different things that are happening. Uh, and the, the country, I, I would think, is, is probably more fractured than it has been for quite some time, uh, because of the political divisions, not just on in Capitol Hill, uh, but what's happening, at, you know, in, on the grassroots sections, like in Ohio, where they, you know, as we know, one of the first caucuses is going to be when they get around to presidential elections. Uh, what happened that, that, that Donald Trump is still where he is? I mean, he's still pulling the strings. He's not letting go. This The, the Republican Party is now the Trump Party, isn't it? Yeah, the Rep- <laughs> you, you wonder what's going on on your side of the border. We wonder down here, too. <laughs> it's, um, he has taken over what used to be the Republican Party. He's turned it into an authoritarian cult. I don't know if... There are those closest to him that believe he won't run again, that he'll simply try to bilk his supporters for as many millions of dollars as he can, and then he'll appoint himself kingmaker because 
according to his ex-fixer, Michael Cohen, the last thing that he wants to do is uh, be under the scrutiny that he was when he was president. There's, that's a lot of a headache. But if he can find someone that will do his bidding, he'll be much better off uh, than being president. I don't know. I know this much, that the division that he uh, creates is growing. The Biden administration has not paid attention to it in the passion and the manner that it should have. And so like a cancer, it's metastasizing and it's getting worse. Now, there are those who believe it. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Finish your point. Well, there are those who believe that, that it's just a creation and a fiction of the press. But it's not, and he does draw uh, supporters. He still does have a lot of supporters. And those that he have are uh, <laughs> will follow him wherever he goes. And the Republicans that have sworn fealty to him do it because they know they can get money and stay in Congress if they do. There's no morality there. There's no, no ethics there. There's simply narcissism, greed, and, and ignorance. In, in that circumstance, though, and, and we know who all those those folks are. There's there's obviously Ted Cruz right near the top of that list, uh, Josh Hawley, uh, a, a number of other folks. Uh, Marco Rubio probably would jump. Are, are they really and truly of the opinion that, that Trump is their leader and he's the one that's going to lead them in 2024, or are they simply waiting uh, to be the most Trump-like so they can be the anointed one? I think it's a combination of both. It's what it really is: is fealty to the money. They know that the support and the money are there, and they're following it. They have no, like I said, there's no ethics involved in this. This is all about greed. This is all about sustaining oneself. And, you know, I, when it, you talk to some congressmen who are opposed to this, even some Republicans, they go, look, if, if I couldn't do this job, I could do another job. You know, this is I'm not going to sell my soul for this. But these people honestly have no other marketable skills. This is all they can do is build. It's sad, it's dangerous, and it's truly an American product. As you pointed out in the piece, though, in Salon.com, uh, is there no realization at all that they're, they're actually destroying their old country by doing this? No. There's, not only is there no realization, there is no realization that they should care. If it doesn't appeal to them, if it doesn't help them, they don't care. Mitch McConnell is the prototypical uh, man about town in that regard. M Mitch McConnell is all about Mitch McConnell. Lauren Boebert is all about Lauren Boebert. Uh, Grassley is all about Grassley. They all have one thing in common. They care about themselves above everybody else. It's not even the party above country. It's self above party. It's self above, above country. Well, in, in the piece, you actually compare the, the demise of what's going on there politically and, and, and I suppose economically uh, to Christopher Walken's self-destruction in The Deer Hunter. That brought back a very vivid picture in my mind uh, of exactly what's going on. And uh, it's, it's, it's sad to actually see what's happening there and see the end result of this. And, and I, I was going to ask you, are people like McConnell oblivious? Apparently, they're, they're not stupid people. They know exactly what they're doing, and they really don't care. I guess they assume that this is the price they pay for, for you know, getting Joe Biden out of the White House. They believe it's the price. It's, it's not the price that you pay. It's the reward you reap. Mm -hmm. They're all reward-oriented. It's all about the greed, and if I do this, then I will succeed. The cost doesn't even factor into their decision-making process. It's all about what can I do to obtain the greatest amount of wealth and the greatest amount of power. So everything else is negotiable and, and is a transaction. So to them, 
burning down America, as long as they do all right, they're fine with it. As long as the world burns, but they've got a place at the top of the heap, even if it's rubble, they don't care. It's a very narcissistic, it's a, it, and it's very caustic, dangerous, and cancerous. How does the Biden administration respond to what's going on, especially to Trump? I mean, the the other players, McConnell, et cetera, we knew that what they were going to be like. I don't know that a whole lot of people, although you were one who did assume that uh, the Trump was still going to hold the reins of power, and, and you, you've been proven right on that already. Uh, but but how does Biden respond to this? I mean, if if he if he responds to this, uh, is he not playing the game by Trump's rules? And 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 you know, some people suggest showing weakness as a result. I think the biggest. Um, problem with the Biden administration is they don't realize how dangerous this is. The Biden administration has some great ideas. They build back better plans. Some of these things that they propose for tax credits for working class, taxing the rich, best. All of these are fantastic ideas. But he does not fight the wind. And he believes that actions speak louder than words. And Trump will sway you with his word. So you are, in fact, can take no action. That's what they don't see. They are so convinced that they defeated Trump and it will go away and they've won that they don't realize they're still in the fight. And their surrogates aren't out there screaming as loud as Trump's are. And I don't, by any, you know, by any gauge, I'm not saying go out and be as obnoxious and yell as bad as, as Trump, but you've got to get your word out. And a lot of people don't even know what's in the Build Back Better. There's a CBS poll that said only 10% of the people in the U.S., can tell you what's actually in it, even though it benefits them. So he's not getting his word out, and Trump is, and that's why that's the biggest problem as to why Biden has been ineffective. And this month has been, you know, they say the you know the bloom is off the rose, and the honeymoon is over, and there's a problem with Biden. And the problem is that they're not getting their word out, and they're relying on people to be cognizant of what they're doing without telling them what they're doing you got to make a sell you got to sell it a little bit and that's what's most frustrating about the biden administration is they just don't seem to get it their communication skills are just horrible I, I'm reminded as I was reading your piece, and this is going back a, a little bit to when John Kerry was the Democratic nominee for president. And uh, as you recall, the part of the strategy from uh, the Bush administration to get him uh, reelected, that's George W., of course, uh, was to basically denigrate Kerry and say he was not a war hero. As a matter of fact, he was, you know, and they, they tried, they pushed back and made, made some ugly assertions there. And uh, I remember Bill Clinton was on, uh, I think it was the Tonight Show a couple of days later. And they asked him about that, and he says he's got to push back. Is if you don't push back and take a stand and tell them who you are, they will define you, and that can crush you. Uh, and that should be a political mantra for everybody going forward. And and to your point, uh, Biden maybe is not pushing back enough on this. No, he doesn't push back at all on this. You know, the other is I always say that we have two parties, political parties in the United States. One has no heart, and one has no head. And it's so true because. The, the Democratic Party just has no head for the fight. They have all the heart in the world about what they want to do, and they don't seem to understand that they're in a, the only Democrat or progressive that I've ever run across who seems to understand the Republicans is James Carville, who said, you know, I don't, I don't admire what they stand for, but I admire their work ethic. They keep fighting. Democrats think, hey, we won, we're great, uh, elect us, we'll, we'll fix everything. And then they don't tell you how they're going to do it, and they don't continue the struggle. And so they lose. And uh, the biggest problem in the United States is the division caused 
by those two parties and mostly by the Republican Party who has denigrated, befouled, and destroyed or attempted to destroy the Constitution. There's a piece in the article here that uh, I, I'm glad you brought to our attention. Uh, you've talked about it in our conversations in the past. Uh, but this, they talk about a clear and present danger, and that is, of course, uh, what they call the uh, census-mandated congressional redistricting, uh, which is something, as you mentioned in the piece, is, is required by law to be doing every now and then. Uh, the other word for it, uh, the, the uglier word for it, is gerrymandering. And uh, the Republicans have, have actually made this into an art form, and it looks like they're going to try to do this again. And if they're successful, as you mentioned in the piece, Brian, as they have been in past years, that could be, if not the determining factor, certainly one of the major determining factors in the next U.S. presidential election. Absolutely, and that's one of the biggest... There are two things that the Republicans are doing right now that are, are not getting enough media attention. One is the redistricting and the state legislators that are run by Republicans that are going to gerrymander the district so even a minority candidate can win which will preclude you having to cheat to win. And secondly, purging the roles of, of, of workers, um, poll workers, who don't support Donald Trump. They've, the Republicans have, a, in one place where, the, where Donald Trump won, they still got rid of, and I believe it was in Iowa, they got rid of uh, one of the county poll workers who'd been there for 15 years just because she did not support Donald Trump. So that, those two things combined are very scary. And look, 2022, there's already predictions that the uh, Democrats are going to lose big. It's early to make that assertion, I think, but it certainly is, if things continue as they are, it's certainly a, a, an outcome that is predictable and that could happen. And that's because the Democrats still don't understand the fight that they're in. The rest of the country does. And I mean, they've, they've addressed some of these concerns, uh, but you know, you, actions speak louder than words, as you mentioned. You know, when, Jerry Manning, for those who don't know, is you know, the Republicans will redraw the boundaries uh, of all the districts right now, and, and basically include within those districts uh, the areas where they have the highest vote totals, so that basically it, it, they're stacking the deck in favor of Republicans. Uh, same thing with the abortion thing in Texas. I mean, the administration made a big deal about that too, but it's the courts that actually blocked it so far. Anyway, uh, you can't always count on the courts to, to be that decisive on some of these matters. There's got to be some political pushback, I guess, uh, and you need, a, you need a line there, somebody who's going to push back in these situations. Uh, and, and Biden should be that guy, but if not, there's got to be somebody else. I mean, I, I guess people are looking for something like that, too, and in the absence of that pushback, uh, the Trump rhetoric starts to dominate once again. Well, the Trump rhetoric is always going to dominate the Trumpers, and there are those who believe that the Trumpers are... Uh, are evaporating and that come 2022 and 2024 that you know miraculously they'll be they won't count and i remind people time and again that we don't vote very much in, in most elections in this country just over or under 50 percent of the registered voters vote which means if you have if you barely win an election by 50 percent that means only a quarter of the registered voters in the United States have elected you. And in most cases, that is not a quarter of the population. That's even less. That's like a fifth or a sixth of the population. So minority is ruling. For a, demo for a democracy to thrive and survive, we need two things, an educated and an active electorate. And we have neither in the United States. Many of the people in the U.S., and I blame 
No Child Left Behind from the George Bush administration, which ended up with meaning all children are left behind. It was the worst educational move that we ever made. And now there are kids that are in their later 20s and their 30s who are completely ignorant of history, civics, uh, political science, science, and math who are making decisions leading us to where we have, you know, the QAnon supporters believing that you can take a, a horse dewormer created by science for horses, and that's better than a vaccine created by scientists for humans. That's led to that. That's the first problem is, is the education. And then being active in, in elections, if you don't produce 50%, but 50% of the electorate to vote, that highly motivated small number of minority, the far right, or in some cases the far left, are the ones that are going to be active and vote, and they'll make decisions for the majority while the rest of us are out trying to get our kids to soccer practice and paying the bills, wake up one day and find out that the United States of America is no longer a democracy but an autocracy and an authoritarian despotic regime, which is what happened with Trump, and they're trying to recreate it and, and, and indoctrinate us into it for 2024. You mentioned there's one other piece. I know we're short on time here, but I wanted to get this in because I think it's very germane to the discussion. Because uh, there are some people, and I've seen this criticism too. Well, it's all the press's fault. You know, they give this guy a voice. They 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 put wind beneath his wings. But but as you point out in your piece in Salon.com, Brian, uh, the, the media cover what's popular, what's going to sell. I mean, and that's just that's the nature of the beast. Uh, I, you know, you went into some interesting examples here. You know, but uh, you know, a talking polar bear reading Socrates out loud in a Fran Drescher accent. If it was popular. <laughs> It'd be on the evening news. That's, I mean, that's the way it goes. Uh, so, yeah. and the, the, but the, the point is, the Democrats have to learn that lesson. They've got to get into that game, and they've got to have that. You know, I mean, you, you know, word association. You say Donald Trump, and you oh, I'll make America great again, and and, and fake news. The, harp on those, bang those, bang those, bang those, and eventually it goes into people's minds. The Democrats have got to play by those rules too. They've they've well, got the to, Democrats have to wake up, and they haven't. They the only they. they Donald Trump created a bar that was so low for 2020 that the Democrats managed to stumble over it. And they think that that's going to be sufficient for 2022 and 2024. It would be nice if they aspired to something more than just stumbling over an always moving bar. And there's no guarantee that since they are in power and they are getting criticism for their actions in Afghanistan, on China, down at the border that those people that helped swing the votes in states in the last election won't swing back to the right. You have to tell people what it is you stand for, what it is that you're doing, and you have to beat people over the head with it so they understand that. The Democrats simply don't do that. They don't reinforce their message. They don't appeal to people. Trump, love him or hate him, gathers attention, and he's not light, he's heat. And people are drawn to that heat to either curse it or to bask in it. And if the Democrats haven't learned because of what happened in 2020, then they are destined to relive 2016 all over again in 2022 and 2024. Uh, you can go to salon.com. It's called Biden versus Trump 2024. Even weirder and uglier the second time around. And as we say, uh, check out the podcast, too. Just ask the question. Brian, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for this. Uh, stay well, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Anytime. Good talk you to you. Take care. 
The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.